word, boys. We got a few things to talk about today. Uh, first and foremost, two weeks, man. Two more weeks until my vacate, uh, until my flight officially hits VA. But I don't think that's what's on y'all's mind right now. Y'all want to know how I feel about the Western Conference playoffs right now. Eastern Conference, we will at 100% tear into the 76ers because that was a god-awful performance in Game 6. Yes, to Game 6. And it deserves a lot of criticism. I do want to start off with a few, just a few things just from, uh, in, from the last couple of days where, like I said, we usually do the, no- the notes thing at the end of the episode, because, but I want to lead y'all into the, uh, the, the craziness that was the playoffs in the last three days. But, uh, yeah, uh, Danny. Oh, Danny Green got injured last night. Of course, in the seventy sixes game, we will talk. We will definitely talk about that too because, yikes, that was disgusting. That was a disgusting play. Um, it, I mean, it wasn't dirty, but it just it just was a it, it was just a, a nasty fall from Joel and Danny Green for that matter. Um, first thing, the Lakers have received permission to interview Golden State Warriors assistant Kenny Atkinson for the franchise's head coaching job. Atkinson has already been interviewed for the Charlotte Hornets job. This is weird to me, um, only because like Kenny Atkinson is like synonymous with developing young talent, and I don't think the Lakers would want to run a, a young or like a, a young team with LeBron James and like I said, eighties turning thirty. You know, Russ probably depends on what team actually wants to pay him, buy out or on a full contract. Like I don't like he may or may not be there. There's John so whatever they trade for Russell Westbrook will likely be a veteran package. It'll be either John Wall or it'll be the Indiana Pacers package was uh Malcolm Brogdon and was it Buddy Heald? Both guys who are around thirty years old anyway. Like I said, so that like I said, that doesn't necessarily fit the, the Kenny Atkinson mold of, you know, reconstructing a young into a young team and moving forward from there and he's been pretty successful especially with, with like i said specifically with brooklyn he's done that with uh with d'lo and a younger spitzer dan witty like i said that team that team was for karis lavert that team was fun to watch even even like ronde hollis jefferson like i said it's a, a name that y'all don't really think about nowadays because he's not really on the team but like when he was with brooklyn he was like a a, a notable piece on like one of those top teams even like they had vets like a Damari Carroll and a Jared Dudley, et cetera, et cetera. But it was really the young guys that that made that had that motor running. Jared Allen was like probably at his peak. I mean, granted, he was an all-star, but he started, like I said, when his peak with the Nets was probably in the Kenny Atkinson era, if we're being honest with each other. Like I said, he's been he's and even with the Warriors right now, you can see his input is all over Jonathan Kaminga and Jordan Poole. And uh, Moses Moody, Juan Cano Anderson, even though he's not younger, he's a, a a newer cast in the Golden State Warriors system. Like I said, he's he's been he is an integral part to a lot of the young talent. Um, the reason why a lot of the young talent on the Warriors is succeeding right now because he knows, like I said, he he's one of the honestly the best coach when it comes to developing young talent right now. And I would like for him to take the Charlotte Hornets job because he can he has he can have his input over Lamelo Ball and Miles Bridges if they decide to bring him back. Kai Jones, uh, JT Thor, like they he James Booknight. Like you said, he has a lot. He has a he would have a lot of input when it comes to 
like who and where he wants to put his young talent as opposed to, you know, if he's coaching, quote unquote, coaching LeBron James. He's not going to tell LeBron James, you know, I want you to step aside, let Malik Monk do his thing. Like he can't, he can't, he's not going to do that. Like that's, that's not happening in the Lakers system. He'd be fired before the end of the season. Let's be, let's all be honest about that. He would. Okay. So I do want to transition just a little bit. Um, this was on Wednesday, I believe this was when this happened. When I got the, the or I got the tweet notification on Tuesday, but I'm pretty sure like the official, like official official was on Wednesday, but uh, on sorry on Tuesday, but um, uh, former NBA Hall uh Hall of Fame center Bob Lanier, as uh passed away at the age of seventy three. Of course, we saw the uh like I said, a lot of people saw the notification, but uh. I remember, like I said, I was getting ready to, because again, on Wednesday, I went to the gym. So, it's like, I was getting ready, getting all my stuff out so we can go to the gym on, on uh, Wednesday. And I got the notification. I posted on my story, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. They said, so, I'd like, I said, I took the story down, and I I legit, like, no joke, because I saw, like, so I saw, like, a highlight video on Twitter. And like I said, I just, I watched it on repeat, and like I said, I knew of the greatness of, of Bob Lanier, even like, like I said, because I was like that kid when I was little. It's just like I'd watch Hardwood Classics and like random games from like the 1960s, 1970s would be on. And Bob Lanier, like I said, there'd be like Bucks games and even like old Pistons, like um, old, old like old Pistons games with uh, Bob Lanier. Like I said, I'd be watching those just like, like just in amazement. It's like he was like one of the first. Like bigs that like true dominant bigs at the NBA. Like I said, it was a there were a few obviously with the in Will and Bill Russell era, but then it kind of faded into less stars were being made and like it was more of a I wouldn't even say even playing ground, but it's just it wasn't enough. It wasn't a whole lot of talent, a whole lot of talent. We'll put it that way. Bob Lanier was like that next step when it came to, to centers. In the seventies and even early early eighties, like he was like that guy, and like I don't like I feel like it's, it's weird that I'm even saying because like he passed away at seventy three, and I understand seventy three is an older age to a lot of people, but realistically, it's not that old. People like I said, people live to their eighties, nineties, triple digits even, and like I said, it's it's sad that it's it's at only at seventy three that he passed away, but again, obviously, like I said, I don't want to go too in depth on it, but obviously, thoughts and prayers are with the family. With you know with his loved ones and like I said, just hope that they get to cope through a sad time. <sighs> I don't know how to transition to that, but um, yeah, Memphis. Oh, um, I will say the Memphis team, uh, basketball exec, have, basketball executives, have, or NBA team executives have selected Memphis Grizzlies executive. Vice President of Basketball Operations and GM Zach Kleiman on the winner uh, as the winner of the 2021-2022 NBA Executive of the Year Award. Shout out to him, of course. Whew. Um, not sure how. Not sure how I feel about it. No, I'm not saying it's a bad move. Don't get it twisted. But uh, I feel like Pat, Pat Riley definitely deserves some uh, some uh, you know some uh, some little. Uh, Consideration also, like I said, a lot of this Memphis Grizzlies team, most of, most of this Grizzlies team actually, was here last year. 
Like I said, I don't think he made too many crazy moves in the 2021 offseason that that screamed, oh, we're going to go from the AC to the 2C type like type drama. Obviously, no. Like I said, he, like I said this, is a, this is a really good team, so I understand why he won. Like I said, I personally would have gave it to Pat Riley only because, like I said, he had the P.J. Tucker. He got, like I said, he um, got, you know, Max Struess. And uh, granted, the Duncan Robinson signing was a little bit of a, a stretch, so that probably took some points, some brand new points away from him. But like I said, all in all, I think Pat, Pat Riley, I wouldn't even say should have won. But I, I, I would have gave the award to Pat, Pat Riley if I was in charge, but obviously I'm not. So congratulations, of course, to Zach Lyman. Keep building a good team. Hope y'all make it past the Warriors. If not, y'all still had a successful season. Don't get it twisted. Y'all also one of the best franchises ever. <clears throat> okay, so a lot of the trans I uh, like I said, there's no like no real transition to all of this. But um yeah. Last games or last night's games were pretty buns, I won't lie to you. The Mavs beat the absolute mess out of the Suns. Most damage done in the first half, but definitely done in the second half, too. And I will also say, I guess we might as, we might as well start off with Miami and Philly. We're going to have this conversation right now because I need answers from everybody. Not just 76ers fans. Not just Heat fans. Not just... NBA fits. Literally anybody that is listening to this podcast right now, basketball fan or not, I need an answer right now. Could someone tell me why the 76ers decided to play at 40% when their season is on the line? James Harden, and again, I saw, like I said, I, was, I literally said this out loud during the game, and then I saw it on Twitter too, which was wild to me. James Harden was playing like he was going to get the max contract no matter what. James Harden plays like he was going to, like he he's looked like he signed that contract and dipped. He he's he's he played like he signed that five was a two thirty I think is the max he's going to get. That's what he looked like last night. I'm not saying this. You should play. 500 I'm not saying get go get injured but it is you're down 3-2 it is what a seven-ish point game give or take in the last two minutes of the game like I said guess give or take like I said this is this game was a pretty bonzo especially in the third quarter and I would like to like I said I will 110% give Joel Embiid all the credit in the world for playing through 592 injuries. Tyrese Maxey obviously played his heart out too, but I this conversation specifically for James Harden. 11 points all in the first half. Bro took one shot in the second half. One. To be honest, I don't I think it was a three-pointer. I'm pretty sure you could say it was like a top of the key three. He took one shot and I'm, like I said that was like late in the fourth quarter by the way. He took that shot. Played 43 minutes in this, this game. Again, I want, I'm, I'm giving you context as to why, why James Harden should be crucified right now. Nine shots as the supposed, supposed second star on this team. Nine. Granted, Tobias Harris took more shots than James Harden as the quote-unquote fourth option. 
By the way, Jimmy Butler absolutely buried Tobias Harris in in the uh, in the tunnel too. By the way, where he said they picked Tobias Harris over me after he's given them like what I think it was like four straight thirty point games against uh, Philly. Win or lose, he's put up like four straight four, uh, thirty point games. Tyrese Maxey obviously took more shots than James Harden. He actually took them like I'm pretty sure he took the most shots on the team. He I know he took twenty two. But I'm pretty like I said, Joel was absolutely aggressive. I do I I absolutely applaud oh, jo, well, yeah, Joel took twenty-four. But yeah, I'm I applaud Joel and beat one hundred and ten percent either playing through injuries or even not playing through injuries. The fact that like he tried. He he at least tried. Joel and beat looked like he tried out there. But this looked like to you know, you know what's sad? That Shake Milton almost took more shots than James Harden. If James Harden didn't take that that um, top of the key three, they would have took the same amount of shots. That's what's sad to me. But I do want to have this conversation, right? Like legit. And they said, man to man. They were playing like this was game 70 of the regular season and they clinched the playoff spot already. This is what this felt like. This did not feel like back against the wall. If you lose, you don't play. You have Six months worth of questions to answer up until training camp, preseason, regular season, et cetera, et cetera. James Harden, again, I don't know what Philly does in the offseason. Again, James Harden's taking the player option. Let's be honest. It's like $47 million. He ain't turning that down because nobody else is going to pay him $47 million at 20, at 33, 32, 33 years old. And it's already on a decline. Let's not get that. Like, like I said, let's not pretend like James Harden is still Houston James Harden. He 100% is not. This team, again, I fell for it at the deadline. I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely fell for this team at the deadline. And, again, the first game where I saw James Harden was cutting it, you know, setting back screens and moving off the ball, I fell for it. I really did fall for it. As soon as James Harden tried it to be James Harden of Houston and tried to turn Joel Embiid into his Clint Capella, that's when the ship started to turn down. It, it took a, a sharp turn left. And it crashed right here. This was bad. This was horrendous, even. James, like you said, James Harden. Again, you have to look at this. James Harden is the guy they gave up the they gave up everything to. They gave up the picks. They gave up the assets. They gave up the young player in Ben Simmons. They gave up the the bench pieces in in Andre Drummond. They gave up their best shooter by far in Seth Curry. They gave up all of it. All of it for James Harden, for the guy that they believe was going to take him to the promised land. This was he. Don't act like this was just a one-year thing for Philly and just trying to see what uh see what uh, happens and then we revamp next year. No, they were looking for a title this year. They just got bounced in six. Really, and that is they got bounced in six because Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate. If Joel Embiid was any worse than what he what he was, this is probably either a sweep or in five, and we are both be like I said, we are going to be honest one hundred and ten percent on this show because there's no way you believe that even even a fully healthy Joel Embiid ain't beating what happened last night. Max Drews took James Harden to work last night. Jimmy Butler obviously has been one of the best players in his playoffs so far, and uh, so far, and you can't tell me different. P.J. Tucker was beating people on the offensive glass 
P.J. Tucker offensively and defensively was giving James Harden to work on the both on the glass and him guarding James Harden. I would like to say, I'm, I don't want this to be a complete evisceration of the 76ers because the Miami Heat absolutely played an amazing game defensively. Like I said, the offense was give or take for most of the night outside of Max Struess and Jimmy Butler. But I I do want to. This this has to be a focus on the 76ers because, again, the, probably the – and, again, you say that you've heard this word used 100 times already, but it is truly the most uninspired basketball we've seen in a long time. They somehow kept this game close in the first half. And even then, like I said, in the, in the second half, it wasn't even a blowout. 11-point game going into the fourth? We just watched Milwaukee do it two nights ago. It's not impossible. It really ain't impossible. And again, we'll get to Milwaukee and Boston in a little bit. But it's not impossible to come back from down. They said they were down on nine. Going into the fourth quarter. Down as much as with 13, 15. It was, a, it was something around there. It wasn't, it was not a difficult thing for Philly. They just didn't care. James Harden played like he has a five-year max contract next year. Joel B plays played like he's only 22 and he's got 10 years left, 15 years left in his career. Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, granted, Joel, like I said, Joel Embiid absolutely tried and only had, like I said, he, like I said, he, he has very little feeling left in him because, again, he's got the nose. He's probably still banged up from the concussion, to be honest with you. He's got the, the dislocated thumb. He's got, or was it was a torn ligament. It was hard. It was a torn ligament in his thumb. But still, like, he's dealing with all the, like I said, he's dealing with all this. He's playing in the, in the black mask. He's, like I said, he's got injury upon injury. James Harden supposed to be the guy that 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 uh that takes him takes over from Joel Embiid being that bad or doing uh he's like really not feeling all that well. Tyrese Maxey is so somewhat struggling from the field, and James Harden decides, you know what, I'm gonna take the night off. Well, cool. Now you got the whole rest of the season, the summer, and probably the preseason off. Again, I don't. All right, where you go from this? I'm not saying. All right, the word I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use blow it up, but I don't want it to seem like oh, trade Joel, trade to Harden. Just no. First of all, Jimmy, like I said, Jimmy Butler exposed you last night. So Tobias Harris has to be the first phone call you make when eligible. So probably mid late June, around draft time. That is 100 the first phone call you make. Second phone call you make is to Doc Rivers. You wish him his future and best, wish him the best in his future endeavors, and you move on. Next, whether you get whether James Harden cares or not, you better not give him the max. If I see Philly and James Harden come to a mutual agreement of five years, two hundred fifty plus million dollars, I promise you. I'm going to go come on this podcast and eviscerate the 76ers. Because Philly, that was terrible. Philadelphia uh, 76ers fans, y'all should feel embarrassed that your team cheated you out of any possible chance of a championship this year. 
Now, realistically, we knew they wasn't winning a whole lot this year. Like I said, a second-round exit probably sounds good around now considering your second-round exit, exit to Milwaukee, Boston, and Miami, two te- three teams that have a legitimate chance of winning the championship. But you gave up. You gave up on that chance at the championship. They didn't take it from you. Miami didn't necessarily beat you last night. You lost. Miami didn't win. Y'all lost. That was, like I said, I'm 100% advocate. If you lose competing at 100%, that's fine. But when James Harden is as lackadaisical as he has ever been, and trust me, that covers a lot of ground. I'm talking fumbling passes. I'm talking not even taking wide open shots. Not even calling for pick and roll. Not even do. Literally, it's swing pass to Tyrese Maxey and pray to God he makes a shot. And he only did that like 36% of the time last night, which is why Philly lost by nine. Nine. Not 29. Not 49. By nine. There is still a feasible chance in the last five minutes of them in the game for them to win. And they did not try. Try. That's all you have to do is try. Miami low-key gave you this game. They didn't want to win in Philadelphia. They wanted to win it in AAA and MIA. Or I guess now it's the FTX arena. They didn't care about winning in Philadelphia. Y'all just didn't care to play enough in Philadelphia. Y'all didn't want to play hard enough in Philadelphia. And that's why they beat the brakes off y'all. And it really did not feel close. It was close because it was only a nine-point game. But that game didn't feel close. Max Struess looked like he was a better player than anybody on the floor for Philadelphia. That was a former MVP, an MVP candidate, one of the rising stars in our game, and one of the best post scores or one of the best uh, wing scores out in the post in Tobias Harris. Give or take. I know, inconsistencies. You ain't got to tell me that. Again, I 110% will give my prayers to Danny Green. Like I said, that injury was genuinely bad. And again, confirmed on Twitter by Woj that it looks like a serious leg injury. Like I said, all thoughts and prayers to him. But let's not beat around the bush. Danny Green wasn't going to be the savior yet again. He was in game three and somewhat in game four, too. He had a game where he hit six threes. But let's not act like Danny Green was going to be the savior in this game. This, Granted, he probably would have opened up a lot more than probably Shake Milton because he's a better shooter than Shake Milton. And I guess give or take George's knee ain't too. Like I said, you... Like I said, I will say this again. Like you have to revamp this bench. That's the like I said, that's the next step after this. James Harden wants a max or doesn't want a max or wants a max ain't getting a max thing. You have to revamp this bench. Granted, I don't know where you do Gary Harris. Maybe like I said, Gary Harris. I feel like the one option. Like literally, is the one option because again, he's he, he he'd walk into that locker room and be the best defender on this team. Not name Matisse Thybulle. And even then, does Matisse Thibel come back? Because, like I said, the Philly, every team has exposed Matisse Thibel so far. Boston is, is, has exposed him. Miami has exposed him. Well, Key Toronto exposed him. And I'm like, and I was a big proponent of keeping Matisse Thibel, not because of what he is now, but what he, I think he could be in three years. And Philly desperately needs that kind of guy right now, similar to uh, Tyrese Maxey. It's like, Tyrese Maxey's good now, but imagine him three years from now. 
that's what I thought. Uh, that's what I'm envisioning in Matisse Thibault. So Matisse Thibault hasn't shown me Jack since I put him over three months ago. Sorry, Matisse. Love you. You got to get better, though. That shot is the only thing you're going to be working on this offseason. Yeah, I know the, like I said, agility training. You, you, like I said, one of the best defensive players in the league. You probably make another all-defensive team just coming off the bench playing 12 minutes a game. You, that's, that's you. Like I said, you are that guy. But offensively, if we can't trust you to play more than 12 minutes because you're such an offensive liability, if the whole reason we put you in this game is because nobody else on this team can guard Jimmy Butler, that's the whole reason we even playing you. The whole reason you even allowed to travel with the team is because we think you might be able to stop Jimmy Butler, which, spoiler, he didn't. That's why we put you here. And if that's the whole reason, why are you even here? Because, again, if, you ain't, if he's not contributing on the defensive side of the ball, why is Matisse Thibault still in your rotation? They tried early in the fourth quarter putting Paul Reed in. That didn't help, sadly. Like I said, Paul Reed, my guy, but like it did not work. At the end of the game, you see like Isaiah Joe and Jaden Springer and those boys come in. They gave up. They legit gave up. They they seceded to the Miami Heat. Miami gets a whole nother day's rest. Maybe even maybe even longer if Boston wins tonight, because again, their game seven would be in Boston on uh on was that Sunday? Uh, on Sunday? Speaking of Game 7s, I want to talk about Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns next. I can't tell you how sad I was last night watching that game. I can't, I can't tell you how sad I was. It was sad. Like I said, early in the game, it was close. You know, Devin Booker looping, going back and forth, all of that. And, you, know, you know, cool, bravo. I do want to have this conversation. I was on Suns Twitter last night and even this morning, honestly. Chris Paul, there is something wrong with that hand. I know he's, he's, he's a little bit more than what he's letting off. You know, I'm not saying it's broken outright. He would probably say that. But you can't tell me that boy is 100% healthy between last week and this week. Something has happened. He is real. I thought somebody was knocking on my door. There, like I said, he's probably re-aggravated that hand that he hurt back in like near All Star Weekend type territory. I guarantee you that boy is hurt. And again, this is coming from somebody that is a Chris Paul stand, point guard. You know, been been that guy since New Orleans. But let's not beat around the bush, bro. This man is one hundred and ten percent injured, and is not telling the organization. Keep in mind, this is a do-or-die situation for the best team in the league, the team that I proclaimed in September to win an NBA championship in the next two years with Chris Paul at the helm, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Before Chris Paul hangs those shoes up, I proclaimed that the Suns would win an NBA championship. This is the last possible moment for them to potentially win an NBA championship because like I said, they depends on what happens to Golden State and Memphis, which again we will definitely get to that because that was weird. That was weird to me last uh, two nights ago. I want to point out a few things. Phoenix. I understand that Dallas has 
a plethora. Yes, we were using the word plethora today. Plethora of shooters on that roster. You couldn't defend one of them. I'm talking Reggie Bullock. I'm talking Jalen Brunson. I'm talking Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm talking Maxi Kleber. I'm talking Davis Bertans. I'm talking everybody. You couldn't stop one of them. Chris, and, and again, I understand, you know, maybe not being able to guard him because, like I said, those are six amazing shooters they have on, in that rotation between Bullock, uh, Luka, obviously, Jalen Brunson, Maxi Kleber, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Davis Bertans. And even Dorian Finney-Smith, who had an off night last night, only had four. But again, he had an eight three-pointer game three days ago. Pretty sure that was the, the first, that was the day of the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. But you could, like I said, you couldn't stop one of them. Like, Reggie Bullock couldn't have four points. Or, like, Spencer Dinwiddie only could have had three. Come on now. And again, you didn't match it on the offensive end. Which doubles down on why I feel embarrassed that I picked this team to win a championship. This ain't the team that I wanted to win a championship. The team that won 64 of the regular season, the team that, you know, was given New Orleans, like it's a great New Orleans gave them hell. But the one that the team that basically was playing with the New Orleans Pelicans as food, the Chris Paul that didn't miss a shot, the Devin Booker that was putting up 31 at halftime before he got injured. That's the, the Phoenix Suns team. Mikael Bridges being the defensive player of the year finalist. Jake Crowder being one of the best stretch forwards in the league. DeAndre Ayton being a top five center. That's the team that I had winning a championship. The team that has a low-key good bench of Cameron Payne, who's been absolutely atrocious in the playoffs so far. Landry Shaman, who's been in and out. Cam Johnson, who's been very inconsistent so far. Torrey Craig, I picked as one of the best defenders that's coming off the bench right now in the NBA. Barely getting PT. Same with Bismack Biombo. Like I said, I love Bismack Biombo. No JaVel McGee is hurting them right now because he's seven foot and Bismack Biombo is six eight. Six eight and not nearly as mobile as you would want from a six eight center. That's why I'm low-key disappointed. I know I gotta cut that out, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> my homie Jay Sean sent me a video. Shout out to Jay Sean, by the way. That's my dog. He a hooper for it. But bro sent me uh, the video of Tyrese Maxey getting mad at James Harden for not playing defense. Yep, that doubles down on my <laughs> that doubles down on the argument that I literally just made about ten minutes ago, my boy. But but yeah, um, what was I talking about? Oh, the Suns. Yeah, like I said, the Suns. Like this team was this team was a team. Like I said, they won sixty four games in the regular season and beat the Pelicans. Was really a tough. He was that was like actually a tough competition for them. Beat them in six. Not bad. But let's not beat around the bush here. This is disappointing. I'm pretty sure we had Suns and Six on the podcast. I, I had Suns and Six. I'm pretty sure uh, Narayan had Suns and Five. We're going to Game 7 after coming off of a 27-point game uh, win from the Dallas Mavericks. Granted, we're going to Phoenix, where I don't think Dallas has beaten them in Phoenix yet. So that should be... This should this should be interesting to say the very least if Chris Paul is healthy. I have Suns out. If the Mavs or if Chris Paul is not healthy, I have a Mavs upset. It is that close at this point. Another potential game six or seven. Game six tonight. Tonight could be a potential closer. Not that it well well. We have Milwaukee versus 
this uh Jesus Christ, the Boston Celtics, I went way too far, far in the 76ers rant to even acknowledge the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics are actually having a pretty fun series right now. Like I said, the Milwaukee Bucks had the comeback of the century. Hold on, like I said, I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but had a amazing comeback in the, in the game against Boston. Broke my heart because I wanted to see Boston win for once, but they could do it in Boston. They could potentially win it in Boston. In game seven, if they do decide they want to, you know, play harder tonight. But this this is going to be an interesting test, specifically for the fact that the Bucks are doing this without Chris Middleton. And I do want to preference this by saying I'm 100%, 100% favor of having as many game sevens as possible because game sevens make the world go round. Like I said, that's all, those are, it's just, a close game seven is, there's very few things better than a close game seven. We got Giannis playing at an all-time high, Jason Tatum playing at an all-time high. They got their, their supporting cast, which shout out to Drew Holiday for doing it on the offensive end and on the defensive end. Two clutch defensive plays. He hit his shot, he hit clutch shots. Like these this is the game that I wanted from Drew Holiday in Game 5. Or Game 4, sorry. This is what I wanted from Drew Holiday in Game 4. He stepped up on offense, and he had probably the craziest block and craziest steal I've seen in a while. Which I don't even know if it's the craziest steal, because Drew Holiday had a crazy steal last year in the finals, too, that led to the Giannis alley The Giannis alley Like, that, that was a crazy play. But this might have been even crazier play because, A, this was, like, at the end of the game. B, Marcus Smart. Honestly, Marcus Smart is a decent NBA player. I'm feeling, he, he is a decent IQ NBA player, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He's one of the best, obviously, one defensive player of the year for, the, for that reason. Offensive IQ would have told you, A, do not go at Drew Holiday. B, Jason Tatum is dead wide open in the corner. Dead wide open. Jason Tatum, the guy that's currently got 34 for you. This is like three seconds left in this game, by the way. That pass could have made Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum could have got a good shot off in three seconds. Maybe even four. I don't know. It was a decent amount of time left. He goes at Drew Holiday. At Drew Holiday? Like I said, Devin Booker... One of the best scorers in our game, top three score probably in our game, can tell you that going at Drew Holiday is probably not the best option for you. Damian Lillard, again, one of the best scorers in an era, can probably tell you going at Drew Holiday ain't the best move for your career. Marcus Smart made that same fatal mistake. Drew Holiday picked his pocket. First, he got his shot packed and the ball thrown off his leg. The second, he got stripped literally at the end of the game. One of the, Honestly, one of the wildest sequences of all time, by the way. I just want to point that out. Genuinely one of the wildest sequences of, of all time. I will die on that hill, too. Like Again, the block on one end and the steal on the next possession – like, that's a genuinely great defensive stand for the last 20 seconds by Drew Holiday. 
I feel like if Drew Holiday, if it's, if that's like Drew uh George Hill right there, if Drew Holiday hit like I said, I don't know if he fouled out or not. If George Hill was that guy, Boston Celtics probably win this game. I fully believe Marcus Smart gets that shot off over over uh over George Hill. I don't think George Hill pickpockets. Granted, I think Marcus Smart probably takes a dumb shot instead of seeing Jason Tatum wide open anyway. But I don't think George Hill pickpockets Marcus Smart at the end of the game. But nonetheless, Milwaukee has a chance to close it out at home against this Boston Celtics team. Which sucks, man, because like I said, the boss, I said this about a week and a half ago. This would have been one of the best defensive runs ever if Boston is able to shut down KD. They're able to beat Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're able to beat currently now the Miami Heat duo. Or the Miami Heat, like, God squad of undrafted and lower view, low uh, low value players. Like, if they able to beat those boys and then go to the finals and potentially do it against Paul and Book, that would have been a great run, or even like uh, Curry and Clay, or I guess now, after last or two nights ago, potentially uh, Tyus Jones and Desmond Payne. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I said, this like, that's going to be the last one we talk about. But uh, Milwaukee and Boston, like I said, I'm I'm intrigued by tonight's games, both of them, because of uh, matters that happened in Game Five. Boston, I think, comes out. With the win here, and I think Milwaukee doesn't in Boston in Game Seven. That's my prediction. And also, I think we're going to get to all right. Last transition: Golden State in Memphis. First of all, I want to have the all right. I'm going to picture that. I'm going to paint this image in your head just so you understand how wild this is. The Memphis Grizzlies at the Golden State Warriors down by fifty plus without their best player. And the Warriors fully healthy. Well, give or take, Wiseman, whatever. The team that that's been playing for 90-plus games this season for the Golden State Warriors, that team got eviscerated by Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, and give or take Dylan Brooks. And Jaron Jackson Jr., I, I guess, had a good contribution too. But this game, this they were down. 52 points, by the way. 52. Golden State was down 52 to a Grizzlies team with no John Moran. That's genuinely probably the craziest sentence I could have said out loud. No joke. That's probably the craziest sentence I could have said out loud. And it happened right there. Right then and there. It happened right there. In front of our eyes, we watched it all unfold. Every single NBA fan known that, that watched that game saw it unfold right before their eyes. The Golden State Warriors, with Steph, with Clay, like I said, ran them the normal rotation they run. Down 50 to a, job, a jawless uh, Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know what happens for you. Do we go from them being down 50 to them winning all of a sudden in, in Oakland? Does that happen? Or... San Francisco, San Francisco, does that happen? Is that something that that actually happens? They go from being down fifty, they won. They, like I said, they only lost by thirty nine. But realistically, the Golden State, the Memphis Grizzlies stopped trying at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Does this happen? Do they beat them in Oakland? Like I said, was this all a plan just for them to? Or I keep saying in Oakland. I'm so used to them playing in Oakland. 
and San Francisco in the new arena, do they do it at Golden State? Do they beat them after? Was this all a ploy just for them to, to be more rested up for Game Five or Game Six? Who knows? But that was atrocious. <laughs> that was one hundred and fifteen percent atrocious. Like I said, I, it was fun for me because I want the Grizzlies to win this, even though I realistically picked the Warriors to win in six. I absolutely would love for the Memphis Grizzlies to win this year, series just for it to be something different. Two young guns going, because again, Dallas is going to game seven right now. So, like I said, it could very much be Dallas right now. It could either be Ja versus D Book or Ja versus Luka. The future of the NBA right here, really like the president of the NBA, because like Luka, MVP candidate. Job potential MVP candidate and Devin Booker, like said, one of the already the one of the best scorers in the NBA. So it's like the present instead of really the past, which was like LeBron, KD, etc. Like it could be considered the pet, the present or even the future of the NBA because again, Jaws only like twenty two, so it really could be anybody. This is this is exciting basketball, man. Like I said, I'm excited for tonight's games. And again, it sucks because it's like I got this, I got rampage, I got barber barber in the morning. Because I gotta get up at eight o'clock in the morning, get my hair cut. Like this is this is like all of it is is happening. And like I said, I'm excited for all of it, bro. Because it's like we haven't been this excited for about a deep playoff run in a long time, a long time. Granted, last year's was somewhat exciting too because like I said, it wasn't the Lakers in the net, so I was excited, but. Like before that, the Lakers was predictable. The Warriors going to the finals was predictable. The Warriors winning back to back with KD was predictable. The Warriors and like I said, the Warriors and the Cavs being in the finals was predictable. You know, uh, Miami going to the finals was predictable. A lot of we everything has been predictable until the last two years. I can't. It can't be predictable no more. It ain't. It really is not predictable. Like I said, can will Memphis be able to close it out in Game Six and then go back to Memphis in Game Seven? Will this be um, a potential? Ball? Like I said, there you can't call the finals right now. That's how close everything is. You can't tell me the two teams that's going to the finals. You can't like like in 2017, 2016, 2018, et cetera, et cetera. You can't tell like automatically. You could automatically tell me the Warriors and the Cavs is going to the finals, and I would believe you. That's not it in 2022. The Warriors aren't a guarantee to even beat Memphis, let alone beat Phoenix, Dallas, and whoever's in the Eastern Conference. That's crazy. That is crazy to me. It's it's actually wild. It is actually wild. That and again, we said this at the beginning of the season. I was like, yeah, this is like the deepest the NBA is. But then everybody wanted the call to be the Lakers and the Nets in the finals because those are the teams with the most recognizable names. But then we saw the Lakers didn't even make the play-in, and we saw the Nets get swept in the first round. So, like I said, recognizable names don't necessarily mean you're a good team. This team, though, this 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 series, specifically in Warriors and Memphis, I've loved every game of the series. Win or lose from whatever side, this has been by far the most fun series. Every series has been fun except for probably Miami Philly, to be honest with you. Every series has been fun. This is the most fun. We've gotten physicality we've gotten near fights we've gotten suspensions we've gotten storylines narratives changing by the day everything everything in this series and again it ain't even over we still probably got two more games in us 
to be honest with you. I think we have two more games. I don't know if Memphis does it without Ja in Oakland. Again, again, I want to call it Oakland. In San Francisco. I, I get it. They I don't it's, it's gonna be difficult. Don't get it twisted. They're gonna need a full Desmond Bain performance, a full Dylan Brooks performance, a full and a half performance from Jerry Jackson Jr. Everybody, all 10, 12 people that the Memphis Grizzlies decide they want to play. Everybody has to come to play in Oakland. San Francisco. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I need sleep. Everybody's got to come to play. So this so for this to come to a game seven because Curry's not going to have another fourteen point in. You know Jordan Poole you ain't going to be held to three points much longer. You're not holding Curry to shooting a a crazy four for ten. Only ten shots from Steph Curry. You're not forcing Clay Thompson to, to go to go ghost like that. Had nineteen, but realistically was like one of the weakest nineteen we've seen from Clay Thompson in a long time. Wiggins ain't going to have a dead performance like that again. The Warriors bench ain't going to get exposed by D'Anthony Melton and Zaire Williams with an afro. It's not. So you got to come way better than what you did in this 40-point win. Realistically, a 50-point win. Let's see if they do that tonight. Again, I have Memphis coming out. I have Boston coming out literally only because I want game sevens. That's the only reason. I love Game Sevens way too much for to this to not one series. We got one series, like I said, Phoenix and Dallas is going to Game Seven. But like I said, I don't want this to turn into a. Why is we get one Game Seven in the first two rounds of the playoffs, especially in the playoffs as deep as this one? I want this to be a Game Seven so bad. Well, one of these is going to be a Game Seven. If I had to pick one to be a Game Seven, it'll probably be Milwaukee and Boston. But realistically, if if we get Memphis in in Golden State Game Seven in in Memphis, trust me, I'm putting everything down to watch that game in full, from whistle to whistle, from tip off until the final buzzer. That game is going to be glued to my eyes, and it's going to be fun, bro. Before we leave, though, <laughs> you know we. We are hip hop heads over here on this on this at this podcast. Both me and you know Narayan, we are both hip hop heads. Fun fact: Kendrick Lamar is Narayan's actually favorite artist. If y'all did not know, he is one of mine too. But like I said, Kendrick is God too. Really, he's God to all of us. But like Kendrick, nobody comes close to Kendrick when it comes to Narayan. So for my boy, we are going to talk the Kendrick Lamar album. Can I say? I just want to say, bro, just for for the one time, the two times, the three times, and of course, the four times, this album was perfect. You heard me first. This album was perfect. Favorite song on the album, probably Mother I Sober, but man. Father Time also hits hits hard for me. Father Time, like I said, that was a hard hitter right there. Speaking of hard, Die Hard was also... Worldwide Steppers. Worldwide Steppers was a banger, by the way. I do want to say that. Getting uh, uh, Kodak Black on the album was obvious. was a 100% hit. Silent, Silent Hill was a banger, obviously. Savior 
I do, I do, like I said, Savior also absolutely was a Christ banging banger. Also, we, I don't even think we talked about it in the last episode, but The Heart Part 5, he dropped the single before he dropped the album. The Heart Part 5, probably my favorite single of the year so far. I won't, like I said, I won't lie to you. As somebody that is a Montana stand and The Last Dance absolutely hit for me. The, the, heart, the, the heart Part 5, probably my favorite single so far this year. But like I said, this... It's tough, bro. Like I said, I want to be biased so bad to say Montana 300 had album in the year with Rap God. But Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers might be my album in the year so far. We're going to come back in, in, in December for sure and do a potential album of the year check. But right now, I don't think anything's going to come close to Kendrick. I love y'all. I really do love y'all. And I'm glad that y'all got to stick around. For the, if you stuck around to this point and listened to my hip-hop rant, Listen to my 76 rants, et cetera, et cetera. Y'all are the goats, for real, for real. Y'all are the ones that pay the bills around here. Y'all are the ones that are getting me close. So without further ado, man, if you missed the previous 113 episodes of the Zay Coleman Podcast, you can check them out here on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and of course right here on Anchor. To all my beautiful people out there, until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. Goodbye.